Hey y'all, good morning, my name is John Elmore. I serve here with Regeneration and Pastoral Care. And those like bumper videos, man, take me back to my club days. I can't believe I was the only one dancing. Y'all, uh, we're gonna have some crowd participation today in church, if that's okay with you. We're gonna do it anyway, even if it's not. But we, I'm gonna read, start by reading you a true story. And I want you then to tell me not all 3,000, because that would be overwhelming, but a few of you, if you're like, oh, I know what that story's about. If you, if you haven't heard it before, you can shout it out. Here we go. Brian went off to medical school, and the intensity of studying didn't allow for much dating. He wasn't even looking for a woman, but there she was. And it seemed to him their time would be inevitable. They didn't know each other, so as with any relationship, the first few times together were terribly awkward. But the more time Brian spent with Ethel, the more he felt like himself around her. They were soon spending hours together weekly, and he became enthralled with her. He wanted to know all about her and find out what made her tick. Physical touch became a normal thing, never inappropriate. Brian would spend hours with Ethel and often find himself gazing in awe at her. But as the semester came to a close, the relationship abruptly ended without so much as a goodbye. And all along, the truth of the matter was that Brian was in fact married to another girl, his college sweetheart, Heather. What's that story about, in a word? Adultery? Infidelity? Infidelity? Yeah. Yeah, you're wrong. <laughs> this is my buddy Brian, fraternity brother, who went off to medical school afterwards. Ethel is his cadaver donated to medical science so he could learn. <laughs> it's like one of those movies where at the end you realize, you're like, oh! That's what it was, and you gotta watch it again. Here it is again. Now, with that in mind, read. My good friend from college, Brian, went off to medical school, and the intensity of studying didn't allow for much dating, because he was already married anyway. He wasn't even looking for a woman, but there she was. And it seemed to them their time would be inevitable, because he had to work on her. They didn't know each other, so as with any relationship, the first few times together were terribly awkward, because she was dead. <laughs> but the more time Brian spent with Ethel, the more he felt like himself around her. They were soon spending hours together weekly, and he became enthralled with her. This was during his lab time. He wanted to know all about her and find out what made her tick. He was looking at organs and nerves and blood vessels and all that. Physical touch would become a normal thing. Never would be for me. I don't touch dead bodies, but he did. Never inappropriate. Brian would spend hours with Ethel and often find himself gazing in awe at her. He would say like he was amazed by the creation of God as he looked at the human body. But as semester came to a close, the relationship abruptly ended without so much as a goodbye. Dead people don't talk. They don't say goodbye. You don't talk to dead people. And all along, truth of the matter was, Brian was in fact married to another girl, his college sweetheart, Heather. Why do I share that story? I share that story because that's how we treat God. That's how I treated God from 18 to 30. I treated God like, okay, like you exist. Maybe you save us from hell by trusting in Jesus. But then what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna get to know about you. I'm, I'm gonna study this. I'm gonna get to know all about you while not knowing you. And there's a huge difference. The Pharisees were known for this. They knew all about God. They were the experts on God, but they didn't know God. And so God called them, God, when he walked this earth, Jesus in flesh, called them whitewashed tombs, brood of vipers, sons of hell. 
his harshest words for those who knew all about him. Just as Brian knew all about Ethel, but he didn't know her. There was no relationship. There couldn't have been. And this will really mess us up. It's why they often call seminary, cemetery. Because people go to learn about God and they wither and shrivel and die there spiritually. And they know all about him, the Greek, the Hebrew, the systematic theology, all of it, and they don't know him. And it's a relationship. It's all a relationship. And so I am thrilled that today we get to go through Romans 7, verse one through six, because this is what messed me up in life. I thought, well, I trust Jesus. The gospel is presented to me as a little kid. You trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you won't go to hell when you die. And I'm like, cool, who wants to go to hell when they die? I'll take that. And then I thought, and now I gotta follow all the rules. You saved me, so now I do what you say, right? Sounds like a good deal, except it was horrible. It was horrible, and I was a colossal, cosmic failure at following all of God's rules. So drinking, smoking, women, weed, money, porn, all of it. I just like kept failing and failing and failing. God, I swear this is my last time. I'm not gonna do it again. I won't go back again. And a day later, maybe it's that same day later, I'd be back in it again, and I'm like, okay, all right. I guess you're not to blame, it's me. I just can't follow your rules, so forget it, I'm done. And I walked away and fell just headlong into all of my sin as I walked away from God. And what we're gonna see today in Romans 7 is the reality that the law, the law is just there to reveal our sin. The law can't make us better. It has no ability, total inability to make you better. It's just there to reveal the sinfulness of man, the holiness of God, that it would move us and like propel us to surrender daily. And then the spirit will sanctify us and lead us into the life that the law demands. But it would be the spirit's work and not the law's work. That's where we're going today. You're either gonna live by the law or the spirit. If you live by the law, it'll be crushing. If you live by the spirit, it will be exalting and life-giving. Today we'll cover tattoos, mosquitoes, one of the Puritans, John Owens, Jeremiah, and we're gonna have some more crowd participation. Here we go. Romans chapter seven, verse one. It'll be on the screen if you don't have it there in your Bible, on your lap. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law. The word brothers here, this is important. You're gonna see brothers throughout in the scriptures. It's a Greek word, adelphoi, and it means brothers and sisters. It's like in Spanish, there's muchacho, muchachas, And then there's muchachos, which is all the genders. This is the same thing. When it says brothers in the scriptures, it means brothers and sisters. It includes both genders when he says it. So brothers and sisters. And the reason why that's important too is that he's talking to both. He's saying it as family. He's saying brothers and sisters, not like super apostle, let me talk down to you. He's putting himself on their playing field. Like I'm right there with you. You're my brothers. And it's denoting family. The spirit, as penned by Paul, is saying, you're family. You were once orphans, aliens, separated from God. Now you've been adopted by the Father, through the Son, and dwelt by the Spirit. There's so much there pregnant within the word brothers and sisters. For I'm speaking to those who know the law. Paul, as a Pharisee of Pharisees, he says, of the tribe of Benjamin, as to upholding the law, zealous, He's like, those who know the law, he's like, I know that you know. And I know you know that I know. Like, I know the law. 
And I know that you know the law. He knew the history of Judaism that early Christianity was coming out of. And he says, I'm speaking to those of you who know the law. I know that you know this, but I think you're still living like it. Because he would say elsewhere in Galatians 3, verses 2 to 3, he says some of the strongest words that Paul says, again, by the Spirit. This isn't isn't just Paul's idea. Who has bewitched you, you foolish Galatians? Dude, that's strong. He's writing to a church, to the very bride of Christ. He's writing to a church and calling them foolish. It's like, man, they must have like stepped on your toes, Paul. What did they do? Here's what they did. The, 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 the Galatian church, they were called Judaizers. They said, okay, Jesus was the prophesied Messiah. We will trust him for our justification. We'll trust him to be made right with God for the forgiveness of sins through his death, burial, resurrection. Great. Now though, we're going to still follow all 600 plus laws because the law is good and holy and so we are going to uphold it. And to that, Paul says, who has bewitched you, you foolish Galatians? He said, this began as a work of the Spirit, meaning like you didn't decide to be saved. God saved you. This began as a work of the Spirit as God revealed the glory of Jesus in his Son and it will continue as a work of the Spirit. You can't do this on your own. Justification, being made right with God, happened by the Spirit. Sanctification, now from your new birth until death, all that sanctification being shaped into the image of Christ, that will continue by the Spirit. There's no other way. You can't follow the law. And he says, sooner than that in chapter one, he says, if anyone shares a gospel other than this, let them be eternally accursed. Dude, Paul, you're upset about this. Yes, he's upset about this because he knows the law has total inability to sanctify. So the sanctification happens by the Spirit, then there's glorification as you behold Christ in heaven forevermore and we are made like him when we behold him. Glorification, three tenses of salvation. Paul is amped up because he knew the law and he knew the law had no power to sanctify, but that the Spirit does. And so he's going to help them because the law is crushing when you have sin. But the Spirit brings life. And so he's so passionate about this. And going back to it, he then says that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Now to these people, there's kind of some fighting words there. He's like, wait, what? The law is binding on, no, no. Because many of them would have been like, no, the law is still binding. Like, the, this is, you're talking about God's word. What are you going to do? Just like throw out the law? You can't. Like even Jesus said, what, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, I say whoever looks lustfully. Like, it's not being thrown out, so what do you mean it's not binding on us, Paul? Like, you're telling us to not do what God says to do? Check this out. So listen, he's gonna say, you're gonna do it, but you're not gonna do it because you have to. You're gonna do it because I move through you. That's the only way. That's the only way. But he says, it's only binding as long as a person lives. Wait, what? It's because in Romans 6, he says, the old you who was a slave to sin is dead. The old you is dead. The new you is wed. The old you is dead if you're in Christ. The new you is wed now to Christ. Dead to sin, alive to Christ. From dead to wed. And there's a reality there, a profound reality that is going to change the rest of your life. It will change you because he will change you. So in case you wonder about Romans 6 and like, wait, really? Like, like dead, dead to sin? Is this really what's happening here? Because on the heels 
of, of this Romans 7 here, Romans 6, it's all about it. So here's the crowd participation. Anytime you hear a word that has anything to do with death, so if it's dead, die, uh, death, baptized even, which is a picture of someone who is alive, buried, and then raised again, that would count, crucified, that would count. Anytime you hear anything that has to do with death, I want you to clap, okay? Here, just so that you're not the only dork clapping, let's all practice together. One, two, three, clap. Nailed it. Romans 6, 1 through 11. What should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The Father, you don't clap on that one just in case. I know, there's, there's, there's people, first time guests, it's cool. For if we've been united like him, uh, with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. No, resurrection, that's alive. You'll get it, you'll get it. That's why we're talking about it. We know that our old self was crucified in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. I'd clap for that one. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, what, what, what are, what's going on here? You're just like clap happy. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. Check this out. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What's the theme of the passage? You're like, hey, we clapped. What is the theme of the passage? Death. Death. Because, no, you can stop now. The clap thing is dead. Don't do that. We'll get, we'll get somebody to escort you out of here. Uh, because the old Jew was a slave to sin, he had, she had to die. There was no other way. There's no self-help improvement program to get yourself out of sin. The only way is that that person would be crucified with Christ, buried, raised again to walk in newness of life. And the old you was under, under law. Like the law there was a crushing weight. Because just like me, I couldn't uphold it. I kept messing up every single day and it was crushing. And he's saying, hey, it's only on you. The law is only binding as long as the person lives, but you're not that anymore. You're not that person anymore. You're not better. You're new. You're born again. Ephesians 1, the spirit now has sealed you, a deposit guaranteeing his inheritance. I have a picture in my office it's a self-portrait, not of like, you know, me like standing in front of a mirror. It's, it's different. They've got a picture of it here on the screen. You'll see me there in the center on a cross. It's myself being crucified. And in case you're like, dude, that's dark. <laughs> it's doctrine. It's Romans 6. And I need that reminder. I need that reminder every day. If I'm on my computer, it's right here to my left that the old me who was a slave to sin that was under the law has been crucified. Now, if you look on the, on the left side, zoom out for a second. If you look on the left side, um, 
There's me with a noose around my neck. Sin is the nail. Consequences is that wrecking ball. A noose, Satan's behind the mirror. In the mirror, you can't see it close enough, but it's like a guy with a tie and a wad of cash smiling. But he's just like decaying, dead, flies swarming all around him. I was dead in my sin. And then those, those strings that are drawing me across, it was a gift, salvation, grace, drawing. I was called. All those things are just pulling me over to be crucified with Christ. You can see on the back side of the cross now, if you zoom in again, Christ's head on the back, his knees on the other side. It's a reality. And then on the other side, it's just, it's just me now throwing out these paper airplanes to other people who were just like me in the same situation. That's, they told me in the first service, they're like, dude, that was a trippy picture and nobody knew what it was about. <laughs> you gotta explain it more. So that's what it is. But I show you that part because of the reality that the old you has been crucified with Christ and it's so important because if you don't grasp that, you're just gonna keep wrestling ad nauseum for the rest of your life with all the same things that you struggle with and you're gonna be doing it by your own effort when you have no ability or you're gonna be doing it by the law and you have no ability. Here's why this is important and I don't wanna take this for granted that everybody knows this because there's someone here that's like, wait, what? Every religion and cult has their code of ethic, their, their moral book that has law in it. So Islam does, Hindu, Bhagavad Gita. There's all these writings, right? That, that frankly, if we're honest, are false doctrines and teachings by demons, the Bible says. That, that Satan would lead people astray to follow other ways that are not God's ways, that they could find just death and futility in this life and hell forever in the next where Satan will be tormented with everlasting destruction along with the unbelievers. And so I say that because this book has law as well, right? So what makes it different? This is what makes it different. Every other religion and cult says you follow the law, maybe when you die, you'll go to heaven. Maybe you might be resurrected or, or reincarnated as the next level and not the untouchable. Maybe you might reach nirvana if you just follow the rules. Christianity alone says, <laughs> you can't follow the rules. The rules are there to show you your sinfulness, God's holiness, that you would throw himself upon the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and say, God have mercy on me a sinner. I place my faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, believing that he lived a sinless life, died on the cross, was raised again, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I can never follow all these rules. These rules are showing me that I, I, I can't. But if you're saying you'll forgive me, then I receive that. That's the good news. And no other religion has good news. It's false news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Verse two says, for a married woman, this is, this is funny, this passage, I like, you read this and you're like, okay, tell me something I don't know. For a married woman is bound to law by her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. It's like, Paul, we get it. Like, okay, no adultery, polygamy, uh, married with one, one flesh until the end. Great. Laura and I are together for life, right? Like on our, on our wedding band, 
It says on the inside, here's to walking home together. We are now one flesh with a portion of the spirit. As Malachi says, we are together, locked in. We joke about like, man, this is just it. You're stuck with me. Um, I am 10 years older than her, which is not weird. I think it's biblical. Abraham was 10 years older than Sarah. And so that's just like uh, what we got there. I also had 10 years of alcoholism. So I think those two things combined, I'm probably gonna be the one to punch out first. And if and when I do, uh, I expect you guys to find her an awesome godly man. And if you don't, I'll come up like Samuel to the witch of Endor and I'll get Old Testament on (laughs) y'all. Like, wait, Samuel and the witch of Endor, what? Uh, But if either one of us were to get involved with any other man or woman this side of eternity, it would be adultery. And and we all know that, right? It's like, Paul, what, what? Of course. Like, why are you telling me this? We know this. We don't know this. You know how we live? We're like, Jesus, thank you for saving me from my sin. I spent my quiet time with you. And then we're like, cool. I'm gonna go about my day now. Because I know what to do. I know all the life hacks. I'm good at what I do. I know the law. I know the do's and don'ts and how I'm gonna do this on my own. Paul calls it adultery. He says, if you trust in Jesus and then you try to follow the law and just be a do-gooder and bootstrapper and white knuckle and like, man, I'm just like goody two-shoes. I mean, I kind of walk the line. I don't, I don't stray. I'm, I, I do good, you know, I'm self-disciplined. He says you're an adulterer against Jesus. Ephesians 5 says we have been wed to Christ. We are the bride of Christ, the church. And that if we now go back to following the law, we're committing adultery, whoring ourselves out to the one who, well, to what, can't sanctify us. But here's the thing. My relationship with Laura, our marriage, like we had wedding vows. We read vows to each other, you know, holding hands for better, for worse, and sickness and health, to death do us part, for richer, for poorer, blah, blah, blah. You know what, you know what, like, I don't, I don't read those every day. I, I read them once, frankly, or said them once. I don't, I don't get up every day and be like, okay, okay, here we go again, for better, for worse. <sighs> okay, got it. Richer, poor, great. I don't do that. I don't do that. It's, it's love, it's the relationship that, that moves me to do the things that I do in my marriage, that, that leads me to like bend down in the shower and pull out her nasty, Two foot, two foot long clump of hair, like, I know you saw that. Like, there's no way you didn't see that dead rat clump of hair, but I'll get it. It's not in the vows, but I'm, I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get it. I know, I know when you made it to the kitchen sink with your plate, it was, it was too much to get it to the dishwasher. So I'm gonna get it, I'm gonna get it. That wasn't in the vows, but I'm gonna do it. I'm kind of passive aggressive, huh? I'm like, no, it's cool. You don't have to do your dishes. You just end up in a sermon illustration. I don't, I don't care. 6,000 people know you didn't do your dishes. You pick. Uh, and I, I don't say that because I'm like, you know, the penultimate husband. It's because like my love for Lord, I don't, I don't, well, sometimes I do it begrudgingly, but like a lot of times it's just because I like, I love her. I'm like, man, this is what we do. She helps me, I help her. We're in a relationship. That's what moves me to do those things. Not like, I don't have some rule that says like, you know, thou shalt, pull my hair out of the drain. I don't do that, but I'm moved to because of our love and our relationship, so it is with God. Let me prove it to you, not by Romans seven, but the totality of scripture. Like, that's the thing, you can't like cherry pick a verse and be like, I think this is what it means. There's a correlation throughout scripture. So Ezekiel 36, he writes by the prophet Ezekiel, 
the prophecy of what's to come in the new covenant with Jesus. He says this, and I will put my spirit within you. God will put his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit within us and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. It doesn't say, and I will put my spirit within you and ask you to walk in my statutes, to tell you to walk in my statutes, to demand that you walk in my statutes. He says, I will cause you to do this because my spirit will be in you. You can't, but I can, and so I'm gonna lead you in that because of this relationship that we will be in. I will live inside of you and compel you and move you through that. Let me tell you, when I, as a recovering alcoholic, when I tried to quit drinking, I, I knew it was wrong. I had doctors tell me, you keep doing this, you're gonna die. My drinking friends would tell me it was wrong. My family told me it was wrong. I knew it was wrong. And I tried to quit on my own and it was so exhausting and, and a whip and I didn't want to do it. I was like a baby that you took away their pacifier and now it's just mad. You took away my peace. And it was horrible. I was manic. I was depressed. I was angry. Terrible to be around. Then I tried quitting with God's strength. I brought God into the fight. Like I can't. I've heard you can when I quit drinking by God's strength, you know what it looked like? Dude, I'm, I'm smiling from ear to ear. I'm singing songs. People are like, what's got into you? Not only did you not quit drinking, like you're like changed because I was born again and now walking by the spirit and I wasn't even concerned about the drinking. Like that's just like, because it wasn't my concern. It's the spirit. He's the one that's doing that work. It's not, I didn't have a knowledge problem. I knew that it was wrong. I did not have a knowledge problem. I had a power problem. I didn't have, you don't have the power to kill sin. That's the spirit's job. You have no ability. And so when you stop striving to get rid of whatever it is that your thing that you're so exhausted by, the porn, the masturbation, the sleeping with your girlfriend, the nagging, the controlling, the anxiety, the worry, Whatever it is that's just crushing you, when you stop trying on your own effort, like, I can't, I've heard you can, will you help me? It'll go from exhausting to exalting. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Verse four, likewise, my brothers, he's just, again, he's like, remember your family. Likewise what, Paul? Well, likewise, like, you remember you're dead, you're not under the law anymore and remember likewise the whole like married to Christ, dead to the law, all that. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. It was through the body of Christ, crucified with him, that we died to the law so that, why, why, why does that matter? Why did it happen? So that you may belong to another. This is the old you is dead, the new you is wed. You belong to Jesus. Who do we belong to? To him who has been raised from the dead. Why? In order that we may bear fruit for God. Isaiah says, all of whom I have called by my name that I created for my glory. You were made to just throw off glory for God, to throw off fruit. It'll say in the next verse that we bear fruit for death when we're under the law and sin, that, that what we're throwing off is sin, and I know that full well, but in Jesus, by the Spirit, we throw off fruit in order that we may bear fruit for God. Westminster Catechism says that we are to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is the truth of this. 
So here's like a few things. Owen, John Owen, great Puritan theologian, he talks about two things. He says, you know, we always talk about the positive work of the Holy Spirit. This is Galatians 5, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all the things we memorize that we think we should do and we can't. It's him that bears that fruit. It's not our fruit, it's his fruit. And Owen says, but we don't talk about the negative work of the Holy Spirit. And when I first read that, I'm like, negative work of the Holy Spirit? Dude, Owen's a heretic. Like what? Nothing the Spirit does can be negative. He's like, no, that's positive. The negative is when he kills sin. This is he produced good fruit. And on this side, his other job, his other role, function of the Holy Spirit is to kill sin. We can't, he can't. It's his job. He kills sin. I came in from work one day and my wife had on our to-do list, it was like, take out the trash, fix the door, kill the mosquitoes. I'm like, what? Kill the mosquitoes? You want me to print the internet, cure cancer, boil the ocean, kill the mosquitoes? Like, what are you talking about? We live in Texas. She's like, mm-hmm, would you like a number? I was like, oh, okay. Call the company, I'm like, yeah, calling about mosquitoes. And they're like, mm-hmm, yep, we'll send somebody right out. Dude, mosquitoes were gone. And they're like, yeah, and if, when you see another one, because I'm like, look, guys, they fly. You know, our neighbor's yard didn't get treated. So the neighbor mosquitoes, they're gonna come over. And they're like, yep, they probably will. Whenever they do, call us, we'll come back out for free. We'll take care of it. Dude, they did. It worked. And I was like, oh man, that's our wrestle with sin. Like how stupid would it look if I'm out there, Laura's like, kill the mosquitoes, and I'm out there like, uh, uh, uh. oh, there's one on your back. Oh, hey, I, like it's asinine, and I could never do it. It's like a billion to one, like impossible odds. I would look dumb, it'd be exhausting. Instead, I call the power greater than me, hey, come kill the mosquitoes, and they're like, fog the yard, done. It's what we do with God. We say, like, Lord, I can't, you can. And he's like, I just wanted you to ask. I'm on it. What if it comes back? And he's like, it'll come back. Your sin will come back hourly, daily. What do I do then? Does it mean I failed? No, you can't. You call me, I'll do it. It's what I do. The negative work of the Holy Spirit, I'm the sin killer. Owen says it this way. What then is holiness? So holiness is to be sanctified into the image of Christ. What then is holiness? Holiness is nothing but the implanting, writing, and living out the gospel in our souls. We we so often compartmentalize the gospel as like, well, this is when I was saved, justified, right with God, put my faith in Jesus, and that's that's there. That was like 15 years ago. And no one's like, wait, wait, no, no, the gospel is every single day. It's the good news that saved you and that keeps you safe. The law can't. He goes on to say, so God, as the author of our peace, is also the author of our holiness. He's the one that that creates the image of Christ in you, that shapes you, the law can't. The foundation of all mortification of sin, meaning put to death sin, is from the inhabitation of the spirit within us. Listen, and by no other power is it to be brought about. Because remember, Paul's like, hey, the law? No. No, you're not with the Christ, this is by the Spirit. Verse five, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. I, um, for the last three years, if you go to Regen or if you're in my community group, you have heard me confess one thing in particular. I bet there's a Regen person who could say it. What do I confess? Oh, well, no, that was a long time ago, but um, <laughs> if there was alcohol, we'd have a big problem. Uh, 
being, being harsh with my children. That's what I like. I'll raise my voice, I'll be sharp with them, I'll like grip my teeth and be like, you know you're not supposed to, I mean, I'm just like mean. And I know it's wrong. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, Paul writes in Ephesians otherwise. I know it's wrong. I don't have a knowledge problem, I have a power problem. Now somehow, just like alcohol, I ask God to free me from that and it's like spiritual amnesia. I'm like, I've forgotten like how I get free from this. And so just 12 days ago, I'm having lunch with this guy and he's like, yeah, man, me too. I'm harsh with my kids. I'm like, hey, Let's, let's start daily proactive accountability. Ask God to kill this sin within us. You know what? We're 12 days running without being harsh with our kids. And it's, and, and y'all, it's all, it's all the spirit doing it. Like I can't, for three years, y'all. I think it's like when my kid went to kindergarten or something, I just like, all the pressure and stress certainly wasn't my sin, but something, it's like, but, but he's at work now setting me free. And so every day I'm on my knees like, God, I can't, you can. And he's doing it. And we're no longer bearing fruit for death, we're bearing fruit for God. Verse six says, but now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive. We're released from the law having died to that which held us captive. When I was a drunk living down in Austin, Texas, I hated the police, hated them. They were like the, the, the buzzkill of the city. It's like if I had weed in the car, I had to figure out where to hide it in case they had a sniffing drug dog. Uh, we, we, my friends, we'd figure out where the checkpoints were. If ever they pulled us over, which they did, it was like, it was always, man, I've had two, not 12. It was just like, I hated them. They, it was this citywide cat and mouse game with the police. The reason why? Because I was the one doing wrong. I was afraid of the public intoxication, the DUI, the possession of weed. Like, it was me. I was the problem. The police weren't the problem. It was me. But guess what? I love the police now. I respect them. They're Romans 13. They're the authority that God has placed over cities for our protection and as the sword of righteousness against evil. Now, I didn't just like wake up one day and be like, you know what? I've given them a hard time. I should really start liking them nor did they help me get better. The police have no ability to make me better or you better. All they do is call balls and strikes. You're speeding, you ran the stop sign, you've got a bag of weed, you're swerving, I think you're drunk. Like they're just there to say when we are out of the law, but they have no ability to make you a better person. That's not their job. It's the same as the law. Right here where it says, but now we're released from the law having died to that which held us captive. Like, the Spirit's the one that improves us. He's the one that shapes us. He's the one that, that regenerates us, making us more like Christ. The law doesn't have that power, just like the police don't have that power. The law just tells us when we're out of bounds of the sin and holiness of God, the Spirit's the one doing this in us. And Jesus won't make you better. He'll make you new. Now when I see police, I'm like, my heart doesn't palpitate because I'm like, dude, I'm clean. You can pull me over. There's nothing in the car. I'm stone cold sober. I roll down the windows with the kids. I'm like, hey, put your window down. You lean over. Tell them, thank you for serving. Because we'd be in a bad place if they weren't. It says later on in the verse, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code. The new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code for this. Go back to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, 31. It says, behold, the days are coming, 
declares the Lord. It's about 700 years before the birth of Christ. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. You remember that whole adultery with the law thing? He's like, I was their husband, and I gave them the covenant of the law, of blessings and curses. You follow the law, blessings and curses. But he's saying, I'm going to make a new one. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declared the Lord. Listen, I will put my law within them, within them, and I will write it on their hearts. When the Bible says heart, it's cardia, it's your spirit. It's, it's there within us by the spirit, not this. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. How good is God? Like he knows we can't, so he does. Laura um, is battling breast cancer right now. And um, she's gonna be good. She starts radiation on Monday for the next month. And here's the deal. Uh, she's, she got a scan, that's how they found it. But she didn't continue to get scans. It was like, got a scan? Okay, you've got cancer, you need to go see a surgeon. Because the surgeon can remove it, the scan can't remove it. But here's the thing. She's gonna keep getting scans the rest of her life. Like they told us, like, hey, because this happened, like you're gonna be frequent flyer for mammograms and scans and biopsies and all that because we just gotta make sure that it doesn't come back because it can. But what she's gonna do, so that, that scan is like, that's like the word. James says that it's a mirror to our soul. Like this, this is the scan that we would put over our heart to, that will show us when there's something that shouldn't be there. But the scan can't remove the cancer. The word can't remove the cancer. The word's, the word's there to show us when we have the sin. Then we go to the doctor, the one who heals, the surgeon, the radiologist, the radiation oncologist. Man, there's so many terms and words and all that. And she's gonna see him daily and he's gonna do the work. She can't. Hers is just to like reveal and be like, I have sin, well, cancer. Ours is to reveal we have sin, analogies. And then they do the work. The great healer does the work. The sin is there revealed by the law. I think so often we say to God, um, you saved me, thank you for saving me. I law you, I law you. I follow all your ways, I law you. It's like, no, no. I want you to love me. I want you to be in relationship with me, not like you're, you're dissecting a cadaver to know all about me. I want you to know me, not about me. You gotta walk with me, you can't do this. Don't law me, love me. And I think so often too, we flip it on him. And we say, man, that's, that's how you see me. You say, I law you. It's like, no, no, you've misunderstood. It's why I sent Jesus, I love you. I love you, I don't law you. The law is there just that it would move you towards me, that you would know your need for a savior because of your sin. The law is only there for that reason, to show you that you're in desperate need of a savior. This past summer, uh, my, my oldest son and I were kind of zigzagging in New Mexico and I, I saw this billboard for Carlsbad Cavern. I've seen those billboards all over the nation for all my life. I didn't know what it was or where it was. And I'm like, oh, dude, we're like miles away from this. We should go. He didn't know what it was either. It is this massive, largest cave system in North America. And, and one of the rooms is 8.2 acres. What? 
Like this, this auditorium would easily fit within just that room. And it's dark, y'all. It's dark. There's phones stationed throughout in case you get lost in this labyrinth of tunnels in darkness um, so that you can call the park ranger and be like, I'm at phone number four. I don't know how to get out of here, like whatever. So my son, he thinks it's all fun and whatnot, and we're going down kind of holding hands. And, and every now and then I'd be like, hey, stand over there. Hang on, I'm going to take a picture. There's, there's a picture of he and I in the, in the cave, actually. But I'd like step back to take a picture, and as soon as I snapped it, I mean, he'd like run over and grab my hand and be like, or, or we'd like get separate. I'd be reading the sign, and I could just like feel his hand like, like grab me. He's seven. He's a brave, tough kid. He's awesome. But he's like, Dad, don't, don't let go of my hand. You know, and it says in Ephesians 6 that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities and rulers in the heavens in, in this present darkness. That spiritually we are in a present darkness, just like that cave. But I think... I'm probably not the only one in the room that's like, Jesus, you saved me, but I know what to do now. I'm good. I'm going to follow the rules. We're in this present darkness, and God's just saying, like, just hold my hand. Like, just hold my hand. I got you. I'm going to lead you through this present darkness. And we know right after in Ephesians 6, if you've studied your Bible, you know it's like, oh, yeah, that's the armor of God passage. Helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, shield of, shield of faith, sword of the spirit, gospel feet. Got it, memorized it, drew a little picture when I was a kid. You know what we leave out? Y'all, you know what we leave out? The Spirit. Because after Ephesians 6, in the armor of God, we leave out the person of God. We're like, give me the armor, God. I got it. I got it from here. He's like, what? Keep reading. Verse 18, praying, praying at all times in the spirit and with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication from all, for all the saints. He's imploring us like, now that you're armed up, you come with me, grab my hand, we're going together. You can't go with me. Don't go off into battle thinking that you got the armor of God on without the person of God. The only way you're going to make it through this presence of darkness is with my hand, I will lead you. I'll kill sin. I'll bear fruit to the glory of God. There's no other way, child. And to do otherwise is adultery against Christ. Hold my hand. We're walking together and we're going to make it. And it's going to be glorious. It will be Christ exalting. It will lift you up. But to do otherwise is adultery and death. Church, will you do it? Grab the hand of the Spirit. Stop trying to follow rules, follow that relationship. Follow the relationship, not I law you, I love you. Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, and we're like, that's weird, why? Because you can't. So he did it for us. And now his spirit in us will move us to that end. Please pray with me. Oh, Father, uh, it was a crushing weight. I remember the crushing weight of the law, like knowing I do so much wrong and I keep messing up and I hated myself and I distanced from you, but in your kindness and grace, you have taught me, Lord, that the only way is by you, in you, by you, through you. And there's such life and peace in that. We don't have to like struggle and strain and because the law can never sanctify. 
It's the Spirit's job and he delights to do it. We need only ask. And so may we be a church holding the hand, walking in step with the Spirit in prayer, following in love, not rules. Amen.